This podcast contains description of sexual abuse and may not be suitable for all audiences. And welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast where I have to announce something very important. We aren't going to Columbus. Yeah, I guess that's the opening joke. It is the opening joke. It is the opening joke, and I say this also because I am not switching my loyalties from one Big Ten school to another. I'm already well sick of Ohio State. You know, Columbus, they're getting good things. You know, they've got Ohio State football. I don't know how good of a thing that is, obviously, but for some, it's a very good thing. Uh, They just signed a – the crew just signed a great striker. Scoring goals for them, and the and the Blue Jackets get Johnny Gaudreau. What a great time to be from the middle of Ohio if you forget all the other things about Ohio for a second. Yeah, poor. I mean, it seems like he he went with the well-intentioned, genuine, good enough fallback plan after the Flyers absolutely failed to make that work boy oh boy are we going to talk about that disaster uh i do have to say that as we get into this podcast i do want to warn you that this will contain descriptions of sexual abuse and sexual assault and it might not be suitable for all audiences and i will include uh a time code descriptor of where you can skip that discussion if you don't want to hear it because we have to talk about it in sadly multiple different discussions today which is very unfortunate and I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this knows that that is coming. We'll start with the Panthers, who had a... I don't know what the best word to describe it. I would say it is an interesting offseason for a team that is seemingly creating cap space out of nowhere. They're not, but it is, it is an offseason where the cap crunch hit them, and they've done what they think is the best way of not just addressing those shortfalls with the cap, but addressing the issues they had in the postseason... And I want to start by saying I think there have been some overreactions to what they had been doing this offseason. In my view, I think some of it's an overreaction. Now, we'll get to some of these things as we go along. As much as I wish they could have done some of the moves they wanted to do, clearly they wanted to try to maybe move Sergei Bobrovsky, but that's basically impossible in the flat cap. I think they wanted to move Patrick Hornquist, or at least attempted to, but as, you, as we shift to that Flyers discussion just for a second, if James Van Riemsdyk was going to cost him a first-round pick to move, the Panthers don't have those, obviously. They well, also, that's, that's a different that's, that's It a is different a different case. situation. But and I, I mean... I, I think they probably would have, would have moved him if they could, but I'm but not sure. But I, I, think, I think, you know, it's... Listen, there is a stated goal, win the Stanley Cup. They need to improve the team. This is the situation they've put themselves in. Bill Zito has contributed to putting himself in there. And you can say positively by trading for good guys and then signing them to, um, you know, step up contracts, you know, for a few years. Um, and then obviously the past has been in, in there with Yandel and Bobrovsky. Those are ownership contracts. Um, the, you don't put those, even on a general manager, you put those on the ownership because that's how those contracts get signed. Um, the ownership has to be enthusiastically um, in that process selling to those UFAs. Um, so especially with Yandel where you have to trade for them and that's the understanding and everything. 
Um, and so, listen, there's things that they could do. It's not, oh, they can only move Hordenquist to get uh, cap space. I mean, Duclair's injury kind of makes it hard because that was a candidate, you know, being a healthy scratch in the playoffs, you know, always puts you, you know, kind of in that trade candidate pile. But there's also Montour. There's also Gudis. There's, you know, those relative to their value to their team, their cap hit is high enough to give you savings by trading them enough savings to go, you know, do something. Now, obviously it, it means maybe they couldn't get Drew Marchman no matter what you look at what Marchman got. Obviously Florida can't do anything like that, but maybe they, if they were able to trade Duclair, they could have done two years, 3 million or something. You never know if Marchman takes that or not. I don't know, but it's, there's tons of teams out there that constantly play close play, you know, are more over the cap space and, and will be fine. Um, Tampa Bay, 7 million over still Washington, 6 million over. I mean, and they, they don't even have anywhere close to a good of as good of a roster. I do want to um, say about the Washington thing. That's because Backstrom and, and Wilson are going to miss half the year, if not more on LTI. So it's not that they wanted to go all that over the cap. They're going to because, well, they can because they're going to have key players out for half the year, possibly longer. Yeah. So, I mean, right now the, the Panthers are at break even, you know, Duclair goes on LTI are their break even right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if they want to do stuff, they can get the cap space to do, to do things. I mean, you, and they're obviously willing to do stuff because they've had enough conversations about Mackenzie Weegar in the trade market to have rumors pop up. And this is something that usually doesn't happen with Florida players. They've been pretty tight to the vests on stuff. So, you know, Weegar, because this happened the first offseason of Bill Zito as a GM. He was in trade rumors and then got a contract. And now two years later, here we are, trade rumors again. We'll see about the contract. But, yeah, you you are right. Like, they could have done other things. And I wish they could have done some of those. I mean, things. they could have let, – let's let's see if, how quickly I can buy out <laughs> Patrick Hornquist's oh, contract. Boy. Oh, boy. Well, um, well, well I, back to, I want to get back to some of the things that is that you're talking about. First of all – I mean, we don't need to rehash the Andal contract. It was obviously terrible the moment it was signed, and it got worse as time went on. They had to buy it out. They had no choice because of Yandel's streak and what happened in the I think, season. And that yeah. buyout was always going to hit them hard this year. That that was a that was something they just couldn't that they could not avoid that. Um, as you say, I don't think they wanted to buy out Hornquist. I think they. I, it is obviously too much to be paying $5.3 million to a guy who's going to play 50 to 60 games on your fourth line. I understand that. But I think they value him in other ways that would preclude a buyout. And I understand it, even if I disagree with it. It's two years of 1.766 on the cap. It would create a fair amount of space. It would, and it would have allowed them. I'm not sure it could have salvaged Giroux. I mean, it might have, but I don't no. think it would have been... It's possible, but it, it's they still would have lost players, you know, and that's obviously and Marchment happy for him going in Dallas and getting a bag. That's beautiful, right? We we appreciate that he developed in Florida, became a really good player, and 
got a good amount of money, and that sets him up for life. That's awesome. And I'm glad it's just not Carolina because he would have scored 70 goals against the Panthers next year, as everyone who goes from Florida to Carolina seemingly does. But I think that for what they were able to do, they, they did find some interesting options, a little bit of creativity. You know, we, we talked a lot about in recent years about how this front office does find players. They are good at that. Now, whether we agree with some of those signings, we will get to that in short order. But I also want to get to this one other point that was making their way around Panthers Twitter on, on free agency day, which was the idea that they shouldn't have gone for it or... Something to that effect. I'm I'm so tired of this conversation because it's it's just I don't know if it this is the right word, but like survivor bias, like because they didn't, you know, the reverse survivor bias, like because they failed, then it was not worth it. But that and that you know, even if just because they won wouldn't make it worth it. It was worth it because you had to show the market you were willing to do it when the time was right, and the time was right. You're never going to have a regular season like that again. You can have very good regular seasons, and they will have really good regular seasons, but you're never going to set records the way that team did. And at that point, why the hell aren't you going all in? If Claude Giroux only wants to come to Florida, you have him go to Florida. You know, you bring him in. And they were able to have cap flexibility more than the usual teams of that end of the standings have so to bring in the amount that they cap that they did at the trade deadline and stuff and really go for it was you know all things considered a perfect storm it it didn't work out but it didn't work out and you could blame the gm for why it didn't work out but it had nothing to do with the trades it had everything to do with the coach and the preparation and uh you know other things it 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 wasn't you know, it's not like Sherratt and Giroux were the only bad players, or it's not, or that they were bad necessarily. I don't even want to get into that. No, I mean, but, I, I, I've made my point that Sherratt wasn't the reason why they lost. I've said that I wouldn't have traded for him, but like, right. And but like history on that is is really frustrating because in a situation like that, every single team in the league is going to go for it. And when you're the Florida Panthers who are having a historic season and you hadn't won a playoff series in 26 years, you absolutely have to do this. You don't get yeah. any chance. And, and they, they did what Bill Zito said he did what he did. And I like a GM that's bold, right? We always complain in this league about how GMs are not willing to take risks. Bill Zito saw that he had a team that was very special and he put all the chips in the middle of the table. And we want to see GMs do that. And he came from a school in Columbus where they went all in on a team that won one playoff series, but hadn't won anything before. You know, that's what we want GMs to do. So then, so then my, I guess my frustration is um, kind of, I wanted to see some more gun, gunslinging. I wanted to see a little more uh, of that, you know, around the draft and, you know, to maybe free up some money and do something um i mean because you you look and it's not it's less the offense i mean i would have liked you know i'm not the biggest nick cousins fan we'll Well, get to that we're gonna get to that but and like colin white is i mean we'll see hopefully he can be wenberg-esque or something like that but you know i i I like i like valkers 
you know, I like Rudolph's Valkyries, uh, but you know, that's still like a low risk, almost low reward type, there type player. Certain, there is a certain uh, ceiling to what you get when you are trying to basically find players like this. And that is, you know, you're not going to necessarily get the incredible bark, you know, Verhage plays with Barkov, he goes off. Duclair plays with Barkov, he goes off type of ceiling. And that is understandable. Yeah, and I like, I know what they're, I understand what they're trying to do. They're getting guys who back check, who play defense, who, you know, play a certain type of game, bring a certain type of energy. And, you know, Nick Cousins, uh, unfortunately, was somebody who said it saying that, you know, I think that I can you know, bring guys into the battle. I think I can bring guys into playoff hockey with me. Like, that's one of my strengths. So they clearly were talking about that with Nick Cousins, that he knew it enough to, like, say that's his strong point and what he's going to bring to the team. It's very obvious once you saw their first couple signings that this is what their plan was. Now, these are not necessarily bad hockey players. Like, you look at Colin White's numbers, and you can look at it for Micah, Jay Fresh, anybody – like, these are not bad hockey players. Like, these are not just scrubs going up and down the ice. They're not a certain Nick Delorier. Again, we'll get to the Flyers in a bit. But they are there to add a little bit more defensively, to add a little bit more on the back check, a little bit more responsibility, because what that group recognized was they were, I'm not going to say easy to play against, but they had one speed. They didn't have another game, and they recognized if you're going to win in the playoffs, they need a little bit more of... They say what Tampa can bring to you with that little bit of that back checking. You know yeah. you're not going to be able but, to run up and down the ice because the Avs had it too. You know, but you know you have the the issue then is how are they going to handle Anton Lundell? Because what what made his rookie season so great was he was able to play with Sam Reinhart. He was able to play with he you know the third line was given offensive minutes. Uh, given opportunity to score, given, you know, Duclair, you know, there were players cycled onto that line that, you know, were able to bring out and progress Lindell's offensive capabilities. Right now, you know, if he's playing with Colin White, Nick Cousins, Rudolph Valkers, like Patrick Hornquist, you know, how is that helping his development? How is – because – I, you know, the goal with Anton Lundell is that he's the second line center. So by next year, you know, ideally he should be the second line center because, you know, he's almost, in my opinion, roughly with Sam Bennett as far as overall net positivity. You know, it's just about can he this year, you know, make up for his inexperience and, and kind of prove that he can get things done, you know, enough to be given some of those opportunities on the second line in top six minutes. So if you're not going to get, and I can't see Paul Maurice giving him the two C spot, which, you know, so who's going to be playing with Nick, with, with Anton Lindell, that's actually going to, you know, help him get to his ceiling and not just be a good in between, you know, second line and third line center. Who's really good defensively and can make plays and has some good finish. Uh, but struggles to get, you know, over 55 points or something, you know, so I think that is a recognizable 
concern. Yeah, I mean, it's like, especially with the Duke injury, injury, it's like they're down one forward. So, and they're break even on the cap. So what something has to give and that, and you know, it can't be like, we can get to, you know, if you're trading Uyghur, that return has to be so ridiculously good because you're losing, most likely losing that cap situation. Because at three two five, uh, having somebody who can play twenty five minutes a night, you know, if need be, on your back end and do a little bit of everything, old school guys like them, advanced stats guys like him, you know, he's a right handed defenseman who plays both sides. That's very valuable. He's twenty eight. Uh, he's in the prime of his career. It's a huge trade chip, and it's also a huge person to just keep in your lineup. So if you're moving him, what are you what are you getting back? Uh, there's you know you could trade Spencer Knight, but again, to do that. If you trade Spencer Knight, you have to then basically spend the same amount of money to get a backup goalie, and you're never going to get a backup goalie who's as good as Spencer Knight is right now. I think for that money, you might get like a million dollar experienced guy that you're kind of happy with, but I don't think he's going to be able to go on a heater like Spencer Knight potentially could. So then that, you know, and then it's like you could trade Huberto, but again, not going to happen. You're only trading a Huberto if you're, if you already know you can't sign him. And to me, there are situations where I wouldn't sign Huberto. Like if Huberto wants more than Barkov, I personally, that's not going to happen obviously, but, but I mean, Knowing who his, his agent is, knowing the season he had and everything, they're going to ask for that. And I think it's going to be interesting how Zito, if Zito, you know, goes higher than 10 or not. But I to, to me personally, highly. you have to say, listen, Jonathan, like, we love you. We, we, we're going to let, we let Uyghur walk for free to keep you if need be. Like, we're all in on you, but he's the captain. He's a center. He's the best player on the team. Like, you know, we kind of have to have this mentality and cap structure to stay competitive where he's the top number. Um, I, I think that when you look at this negotiation, because Johnny Gaudreau signing at 9.75, I think puts a pretty hard ceiling on what Huberto can reasonably ask for. All right. I think you hope. I, I think so. Yes, I understand the agent situation, but. I think that Huberto, in this way, is a, is a really interesting negotiation. It's a tricky one because when the contract starts, it's going to be 30, okay? You usually don't see players like that at that age coming to this point in their career where they're going to ring the bell. But is Huberto's game going to translate to his 30s? Yes, because he's not playing in the dirty areas. His body hasn't taken the punishment. His, his, I, I his, would his, say his, it's his I mean, obviously great. I don't, I mean, I, I would like to say yes, but he had, I, I don't think he has the first couple step speed that I think that could potentially at the end of the, whatever contract he signs next could become an issue. I mean, it's not like Barkov who, you know, is going to be 35 or something at the well, 36 at the, the end of this contract. These, that's why this, these you know, not even are so incredibly different. Barkov was the youngest player in that 2013 draft. He's the youngest player to score a goal in the NHL. And he signs this contract. He's 26 when it starts. So he's incredibly young for a contract like this. And because he's Sasha Barkov, he's been pretty right. healthy over his career. This is the kind of contract he obviously deserves. 
Huberto's going to be 30. And he's also coming up a year later. He knows that the cap's going to go up in the future, but not when his contract is up. So they're going to have cap space next year because there are a lot of other deals that come off the books. But I think Huberto also recognizes he knows that if he takes a little less, like in my mind, I'm also thinking about, is he going to get eight years? Because again, he's going to be 38 when the thing ends. I don't know if the Panthers want to do that for obvious reasons, even if by the time the contract ends, the cap is somewhere completely different. I don't know whether this is feasible, but something like seven years, nine million AAV, I wonder if that's where we get to. Because I think then there's a little bit of room there for Bill Zito to maneuver. He gets $9 million. Obviously, that's great money. You're living in Florida. He clearly enjoys it. You know, I think Jonathan Huberto might be the kind of player who would do a Tampa-type thing and say, yes, I'll take a little bit less because I know if I do that, I'm still getting extremely well paid. I'm going to be able to really push for a Stanley Cup here. And I think he would be willing to do it. It is a very interesting negotiation. And Bill Zito got the Barkoff negotiation done last year. A little later than we thought, but they got it done. I have absolute faith that he's going to get that deal done by the time we are in training camp start of the season. I think it'll be done by then. It's just an interesting negotiation because of his age, the position he plays, the season he just came off of, and also just the way the Panthers are building out their cap structure. When you think about how they built out their cap structure, right? Bill Zito's given out one contract longer than three years since he became general manager. That was Sam Bennett, uh, other than Barkov, who is obviously exceptional. Juberto's going to be in that camp, obviously, but he has not given out those long-term contracts except for the exceptional circumstances, and Juberto is obviously one. So I, I don't think that negotiation's going to be a problem. I think that it's going to get done. It's just a matter of the number. As I said, if they can squeeze in seven with nine million AV, then something really nice could happen there. But I don't know where. I think it ends up in somewhere in that range. But that's a guess. Well, we'll see. I mean, the other thing is far but more I think, to me because I think if I they think don't they get a know they like with him, I think they could just let him walk to free agency. I don't well, think they'd th- mind that. Well, not mind it, but I think that they would I don't... be willing to do it. I think they might be willing to do it, but I don't. I don't know. I, I just by the sheer fact of the rumors being out there, I think um, because and that, of how the rest of this offseason has gone, I think it creates a situation in which Uyghur's more likely to stay than not. I think if he was going to have been traded, I think he would have been traded by now. But that, that's. But I think with Zito, it's we're starting at the pattern where he's. And the Panthers are work at the end of the off season because they they keep they keep having this stark the strict pattern of you know we we're gonna find guys who need you know guys have been bought out guys who you know you know maybe will take a two way because they're veterans trying to get back into it um, mm. you know or mid year you know like they they're looking for like the guys on the margins and stuff like that. And I think that they're, you know, whether it's a trade candidate or, you know, signing somebody or something well, like that. Well, hasn't been traded yet, so. Yeah, I mean, or Line or Matthew Kachuk or, we, you know, Rasmus we'll Sandin. We'll talk about Matthew Kachuk later, but the fact that he gets met, that the Panthers are mentioned as a place he would go, 
is that's a good thing. You want your organization in that. Now, it is with a bunch of places you would expect Matthew Kachuk would want to go. Now, if they could make it work, it would be amazing, but they probably can't. But, like, that's obviously a sign of good things to come if you can get players like that to basically say, yes, I will go there. I have no issue with that. And it's a good sign for the, for the organization. Even if, in this case, they're probably not going to get him. Obviously. Matthew Kachuk is somebody that would trade Uyghur. Oh, for, I would trade Uyghur and a lot more for, for Matthew Kachuk because we, we talk a lot about not, players. George George Richards was saying that it would be Huberto Uyghur plus and still might not be enough. And I I, I, I think that, that we'll get to that negotiation in a bit because it yeah. is really tricky. I don't think they have the prospects or the, the futures to make it work, and I think the Flames absolutely need to be thinking about futures at this point because they're not going to be good. So... Either way. Well, it depends. I mean, because it's it's a lot more work to tear down at this point. Because like right, you know, if you if you trade Kachuk for pieces, then you really have only lost Goudreau for nothing. You can still make the playoffs and start to build back. I mean, you still have some good players signed with good contracts. You know, I don't know if it, they want they want to or rip it down. It's a, I mean, it's a debate that, that we will talk about a little bit. I just want to go into just my individual thoughts on some of these players. Um, as you mentioned for the Panthers, I obviously you mentioned Balsers. I think that, as, as Jay Fresh said, that's a classic Panther signing. I think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, it depends on, obviously, who they play him with. And with Duclair out, it, who, who plays on in that top six for, to start the season? Who ends up playing with Verhage and Barkoff, I think, is an interesting question. Uh, and for that... You know, Balsers, I guess, could. I don't think so. But his defensive metrics are good. He is not a negative in possession. He feels very much like a Panthers-type signing. And that's the one I think everyone is most pleased with. And for good reason. I think he, he played on a bad team with San Jose, a mediocre team. And now he's going to be on a pretty good team. So I'm interested to see where that, uh, where he falls into this lineup. The next uh, is, is Colin White. I mean, they bought. He was bought out. He was paying too much in Ottawa. It didn't work out. And I mean, obviously, he too has defensive upside. I think he also has power play upside. If you look at it, if you're asking who could end up playing on the top line to start the season, it could be him. I think there's also no. obviously. I think it oh, could God. happen. It's not likely, but I think it could happen. Who would the, you want to see up there? I don't. I mean, would you, I, I? I mean, I think the idea would be Dennis Aiko or or somebody like that. It depends on what they do. I mean, there's so many things, but to me it starts with Anton Liddell. What are they going to do with him? Is he going to be 2C or 3C? Is Bennett going to be, you know, because I think that there's a good chance. I mean, I would rather see Bennett with Colin White and Nick Cousins on a third line than than Liddell. I think Bennett would be pretty good with them and then you can would, give I, I can see that yeah you can get a really annoying line out of that but that would still be a positive possession and then you can give offense. Lundell to Huberto and that's nice for him and then you know you you have Verhage and Barkov and then you can put Reinhardt with whoever and then you're hoping Denisenko that you know that guy from Sweden or Finland, sorry. Yeah, other Anton, Anton the Lesser. Well, the, well, I mean, he did lead the league in scoring for Sasha Barkov's team. I, I yeah. don't think we can call him Lesser. But, um, you know, like, then you just kind of can stick somebody there. Um, but 
it's going to be interesting to see how Paul Maurice views it, and we don't really have any idea we at this point how that he's going to view it. I mean, Paul Maurice is most likely going to do what he usually does, which is have his strict top six and bottom six, and that's why I really don't want Anton Lindell to get caught in that bottom six. That is a reasonable um, view, although and I do think I, he might soften it a little because he's got more talent in Florida than he ever had in Winnipeg. We'll we'll see. I mean, but you know, it's hard to get out of your habits of how you distribute ice time and things like that, and who you lean on in certain situations and stuff. I would I wouldn't be be surprised if Hubert and Barkov play, you know, on the same line again. We'll we'll see. Um, but I mean, it, the biggest issue is it's not the forwards. I mean, like I said, I, the one question I have about the forwards is since they seem to be missing having an extra forward that they can really have a pair, a duo with each of their centers that have, you know, top six type scoring abilities, um, you know, it's defense. What the heck are they going to do on defense? Cause that's the real issue. So let's um, let's let's say this. I think that it's pretty obvious what the top seven looks like for the time being. Um, I think that they they signed Mark Stahl to play in games that Lucas Carlson does not, which is again Mark Stahl was not ever an incredible defenseman in recent years, but he's on a veteran minimum. Whatever, I get it. I think that this is obviously, as you said, the area where they could most improve going forward, and yeah, and, and it has to come from the coaching. It's and it's where I have frustrations that like I want I want them to. Tr- I thought that the biggest need, you know, was other than minimizing your losses up front, adding you know, adding some players like they did, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe they still go out and get a Daniel Sprung or something. I don't know. But on, I wanted them to add somebody that could maybe have – they could allow them to trade Gudis or Montour and, you know, move the keep the other one on a third pair and, and really, you know, give Uyghur or Ekblad a, a good partner um, or somebody that allows you to just keep – Uyghur and Ekblad together while getting, you know, 20 plus minutes of the other pairing as well. Um, like, I know Gudis leads the league in hits and he's a likable guy. He's not too old, you know, but I, I, I think he's better off as a third pairing defenseman. I know Brendan, I know Brendan Montour is really athletic, um, can, can, do a bunch of things, skate around the zone a lot and loops and things like that, make some hits. But he is he he has the same issues that people want to trade Uyghur for. Like the Yandelish brain dead passes or losing his guy and things like that. Here's, I, it, here's the point I think you're trying to make. I think they the can't Panthers play twenty minutes. The be- uh, they yes. can't play twenty minutes. I think the Panthers have gotten the best they possibly could out of both of them. Yeah. I think we have seen what they are capable and, of. And I think Lucas Carlson is capable of going from 12 minutes to 15, 16, 17 minutes and and you know be you know take Montour take you know Montour's spot or you know you know make up for the those minutes that you lose from Gudis or something 
and you know fill in somebody else to play the 20 minutes because i don't think lucas carlson is going to jump to be you know suddenly a 20 some minute defenseman. no and and i think he's going to ever get quite there. a bit because he's on a one-way contract and if he goes through waivers they will lose him so they clearly know that they're going to play him a good amount this year and he got lost in the shuffle once we saw everybody get healthy but when he played last year of all of the extra defensemen they played and they played a, bit, a bunch of them I have to say he was the best out of all of them. He always yeah. looked solid. I, I mean, he, he and it's, it's not quite Forsling, but he had a, a bit more of a responsible game and a bit more of a controlled game, but he was better than any of us thought he would be. And yeah. that's and, and, why he's going to be, I think, the sixth defenseman and Mark Stahl comes in in certain games in certain situations. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like they're holding – on to other defensive chips to see what happens with the market. There's to see a if, lot that still feels like it has to be done, doesn't it? I mean, you're hoping when you're looking at this. I mean, in general, because, in the league, not necessarily even yeah, the Panthers. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like there's. I mean, Delzada's. Can I, make I guess my some, point about they have to have veterans in the AHL for for some sort of. Can I make my point about that for a second? Because I think I saw some people freaking out about it before, and I understand because, you know, Michael Delzato is not the best defenseman in the world or the best human being. Um, But these guys are more than likely going to spend 75% of the season, at least in the NHL. But then, well, first of all, that's 25% of the season in the NHL, and that's horrific. Please don't let that happen. Well, no, as I said, that's why I said at least. And, like, and for me, you know, it's just there's a dime a dozen guys who aren't 32 washed up, you know, NHLers that I think they could have or better washed up NHLers. I think they could have gotten. Um, but yeah, I mean like there's Kirstead, there's Gildan, there's Ludwig in the AHL. I mean, I don't see anybody else. I really want another external defensive defenseman. I mean, not defensive defenseman, a defenseman brought in, who can can challenge to play minutes, and you're hoping will eventually, you know, be able to play 20 minutes on this team because I think that's what is needed, especially since, hey, you're probably going to be losing Uyghur. At this point, that that is a really interesting negotiation, and I don't know where it ends up because we already, as you said, we mentioned they had the one uh, negotiation in the past that was tricky, and it almost led to him getting traded, but they kept him, which was the right thing to do. And now you have this one where, again, do they keep him? It's an interesting debate. I personally would, but it would also require them but to if you... shift some other things around on the blue line in the future. I mean, like, I, what would – like – I don't know. Like there, there are some teams like I would say like Toronto who would pay a ton for Uyghur. And maybe that means that you, that if, you know, Calgary understands how much Toronto would pay for Uyghur from them, that maybe we could get Kachuk or something like that. I don't know how we'd make the cash work, but we could figure that out with Hornquist later. Um, But, you know, like the value for Uyghur has is so high because he fits it in so many different ways like he's cheap this year so whether you know he plays in calgary or you know whoever trades for him and then they flip him at the deadline you know to a cup contending team or something 
it, with that cap hit, he'd have so much value because so many more teams would be willing to take him on that the bidding would be increased. Um, so I, I think he's a great, I, I understand why they're combing the market to see what the value is because he might have enough value to bringing a young defenseman who can replace his minutes because there is nobody in the prospect pool. No, not even close. That. And, you know, also maybe bring in somebody who can, you know, help or, you know, bring in picks that they can use to go out and get somebody under contract um, or, you know, restricted RFA to, you know, improve the team. Um, I, I still think this is, you know, well, you know, they'll be competing for a hundred points. Oh, they're going to be, I, they're going to be a this. good they're, regular season team. Hopefully. They're going to be, they're not going to be as good as they were a year ago in the regular season. I don't know if they're going to win the Atlantic division again, but all that doesn't matter. So long as they make the playoffs. And I think they're going to quite clearly make the playoffs at this stage. The, core of this team is not but really that different i'm it's going to i be- have to i have to say though like just to underscore that and just kind of talk about like good problems to have it's like I, I i don't i'm not necessarily pumped or optimistic about this like we're just signing guys you know like Gerard or gerard mayhew or whatever the heck his name Gary is mayhew yes like I, I I've had to watch him and I still can't get his name right. I don't think, I mean, like he's just a a guy who. A oh, player. this is a, this is somebody who's played NHL games and we can sign them to a contract. Chris Tierney. This is somebody who used to play NHL games a lot, and you know, he he used to play be a good penalty killer. You know, four years ago. Let's see if he still got something in the tank. Well, he's already washed up at 28. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, but maybe, maybe, and, but I want to see something else other than this. If this is what they've been resigned to, we, we had our run last year. We blew it because we didn't make a more aggressive move with coaching in the middle of the season and it kind of dampened everything out. So now we're just going to be so reflexive that we just basically collapse and get a you know a, the most experienced coach we can get who's gonna you know just turn this into you know a grindy playoff hockey 24 7 style hockey team and we're just gonna get a bunch of nhl guys for this nhl coach to to throw on the ice and you know we'll see if that that helps i, I don't want to that feels like resignation and you know i know there's you know, Maurice keeps talking about all the excitement and all that stuff. It's hard to get excited about these moves so far. So I understand a lot of, I have a lot of reticence about that. Um, but I just feel like, you know, a team that won the President's Trophy, a team that's really competing for the Cup, that has, you know, some of the star talent they have, Barkov, Huberto, Reinhardt, Ekblad, um, you need to, you really need to go for it. And I wouldn't, they went for it in the playoffs. We already talked about how that was the right move, you know, at the trade deadline last year in the playoffs going for it. I I don't think you can take your foot off the pedal now. I think you've committed and you're past the point of 
no return. You know, like you're going for it. You can't stop. I don't see it as a sunk cost, you know, like, oh, we just have to keep, you know, because we're already sunk costs and going for it. It's you're you you were going for it for a reason because you're in the window. You can't stop or then you're just closing the window on yourself. You know, you can't pull back. You can't be hesitant. You can't resign yourself to, you know, oh, we can't really do much this off season. I think that's, I think that's just defeatist. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, on the inside, they are trying to figure out how to maximize the little assets they have to improve this back end on the defense to um, get, you know, get around this cap situation within the next two years so that they can win a cup. Um, it's really right... funny though, as you say this, this year they have a cap issue, obviously next year. They don't really, which is why I think that they should be way more aggressive than they are um, because there's a lot more teams and worse situations that you know, are being creative, are going for it. And I don't want them to pull a Chuck Fletcher and be like, oh, it was kind of hard or, you know, like I'm sure it is hard to force Patrick Cornquist, who's been a great player for you and, and all this stuff to like, okay, man, like you can only pick eight teams or whatever his limited trade protection is. And we're just going to trade you like you're, you know, we have, to, we need your cap money. Um, and, you know, maybe they will buy him out if all else fails. Um, but, you know, like they just have something has to give, you know, uh, I don't want to be Vegas and everything, but, you know, at wow. a time. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's at not a time, something you want to be. That's for sure. Yeah. But at a time, you know, like you might have to move out bodies to bring in bodies. Um, and it doesn't just have to be the guys on expiring contracts like Huberto and Uyghur. Like, if you can move Sam Bennett to improve the team, it's tough, but you kind of have to. Well, I mean, I like, mean, there's... There, there, is a, there is an element of, you know, you have to balance, you know, being loyal to your guys, but also being ruthless. And there's yeah. the Vegas model, which is uh, not the model that I would go for. And then there's the you're too loyal to your guys model, which costs you in the way. It's it's basically, back to this point, it's back to being Tampa, which is knowing, okay, we have to move on from Ryan McDonough to keep these other guys. We have to move on from Andre yeah. Palat to keep these other guys. And those are tough decisions, but they're decisions that they were willing to make, and they made them, and the Lightning are still going to be the yeah. Lightning I mean, with those players for, not there. For me, the only players you do not trade are... Barkov, obviously. Mm-hmm. Ekblad, obviously. Spencer Knight, obviously, because he's your and Lindell. and and Lundell, yeah. I mean, because I mean, I probably would trade Knight or Lundell, but it would have to be for like Miro Heiskanen or like you know a no-brainer where no one's really going to fight me on it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, those guys. Other than that, you know. I think this team's going to be still really good. I think that I really do think that Paul Maurice understands to some degree, it's a question of what degree, that this team has a formula, a style that has to be at least played more like he ha- he can't go all the way in the other direction. He has to again add not take away and it again until they we still... see it there's no way to know. 
They st- they but they have to figure out a way to add a forward and a defenseman. Um, so you know maybe that for- maybe they're thinking all right the forwards Denisenko or you know it's Duclair when he comes back. You know we'll make do with one less forward, but then they still have to get a defenseman or maybe. They really, really believe in one of these defensemen that, you know, we've saying, oh, well, they're not going to do anything. Um, but they, you know, what when the season ended last guy? year. Maybe he's the next Gus Forsling. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, I, it's a long, it's a long shot bet. And, you know, that's what I'm worried about right now. It's not that they've necessarily made bad moves. Um, it's just I'm waiting for the other moves to happen i'm waiting for you know the end of the season and to me it was like okay if you're losing marchman and Giroux uh and charat you're going to need a forward and a defenseman and um i i don't think they've added those forwards and defensemen that move the needle i think you know maybe it is colin white i i See, that's, that's I don't thing. know. You but... could bet on, I would say they're much more likely to have added a forward because they've already proven that they can develop forwards out of nothing. And the defensemen they developed out of nothing were Forsling, who's obviously been really, really good. But that's but is what Colin White a top six forward? Because I, I think that's I what doubt they it, but you but I think I that's what they needed to add. And and you know, so you know if they, yeah, I mean it's. It's tricky in a situation where they're in, and are they better than last year? Clearly not. Are they going to be a playoff better, really, is the question. And there's no way to know if they're playoff better until they get to the playoffs. One thing about that, you know, getting playoff better, um, you know, there's been a lot of Paul Maurice um, podcasts, obviously. He was just on with Darren Mollard, um, and he was saying – two things that really caught myself and one was all the practices every every time the panthers were on ice last year is videotaped and they're going to be watching every second and that's something that is a goal of his to get done before he uh moves back into the house or you know like uh in and florida in the middle of august practices, um yeah. last year and what they were doing and what they weren't doing you've mentioned that a right. lot on this show and he's he's a video guy paul maurice is a video guy that watch he's a junkie he watches a ton of video and so i think he's going to see the same thing you saw which is the kind of drills they were doing right and you wanted them to do different kinds of drills you you know and you yeah, i want again from from yeah i mean unfortunately i don't get to see the practices um i just kind of rely on the answers i get to questions to the media that i pose and stuff and it seemed like they weren't doing a lot of battle drills they weren't doing a lot of you know small ice area games they weren't doing a lot of game situation flow drills as much as I would want them to do. Um, it was a lot of more just like line drills and, you know, practicing systems, practicing, you know, the power play and, you know, the penalty kill and stuff like that, which, you know, I'm not saying you can't ever do those 
in, in you practice wanted something stuff, else but, not just practicing you, all the having things. having more of that adrenaline in practice having a little more of you know that competition the put you know pushing each other and you know um i think it's i think it's really necessary but i also think you know if you're always fighting if you're always you know battling for pucks if you're always in those small area games where you don't really have room i mean there's no open slot room when you know if you draw up a, a you know a drill where everything's in the slot you know you can only skate in the slot area and it's like you know a two on four or something like that and you're trying to create it create scoring chances and coaches are just you know flipping pucks in you know one at a time those types of drills are how you can score those gritty grindy playoff goals you know with skill because you have the guys who have the possession metrics, his own entry skills and everything, and direct these pucks into high danger areas. And then they practice how to scrap out and, you know, get under sticks and, and gain body position to to turn a two-on-one into a scoring chance. Or, you know, a one-on-two when they're getting outnumbered into a scoring chance by just willing it, just fighting through it. Um, and so hopefully, you know, when they – when they draw up their practice plan, that's something that they add and they do. And they don't just, you know, the second thing that Maurice said, bringing it back to what I really liked was they're not just going to wait till March, April to start doing this stuff. Uh, that's what the training camp all the way through the year is going to be. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how the player is, how quickly the players react to that and what, that initial impact is to the win-loss record. One thing I think uh, we can say about Palmer, I think the win-loss record will take a hit, but that was going to happen regardless because you can't have a regular season like they did last year. It was the second-best regular season, arguably, in a cap era. So, like, you're going to take a hit. But I think one thing that we know about Paul Maurice is if he sells it in the right way, and he's very good at that, he can get the players to buy in. And one of the things that he doesn't have, and it was mentioned again on Twitter recently, which the dressing room, and we joked about it. Like, if Mark Shifley's not going to back check, like, there's only so much Paul Maurice could do about that, but the Panthers captain is uh, hardwired to back check all the time. So that is one major difference that he's going to have in Florida is that his arguably his two best centers are defensive monsters. So the problems that he had in Winnipeg in that regard are not going to be the problems he had in Florida because people will follow what Sasha Markov does. He's not a vocal leader, but he's a leader by example. And when you see what he does, obviously people follow him. If if I had if I had five minutes to to talk to Paul Maurice, I'd probably spend three minutes, you know, talking to him about, you know, just like what he like what he sees from the bench and and you know, you know the different things that flag you know for him to push a line or to you know to change lines or you know those types of things and then i'd probably spend two minutes on on seeing what his plan was to get the most out of sasha barkov to get to to see what kind of player he sees Barkov as and how he thinks he can become 
even an even better player. Because uh, I think towards towards the end of the playoffs, I mean, I think Barkov was have facing a little bit of a confidence issue. He was and, as frustrated, and he said it in those press conferences as I think I've ever seen him. And yeah. one of the things that has been the secret sauce to the Panthers going from where they were to where they are in the last three, four, five years has been every single season, Barkoff, Huberto, and Ekblad have gotten better. Like, objectively better in every single sense, right? And yes. you wonder, are they going to continue on that path? Because Ekblad would have been a Norris finalist if he didn't get hurt last year. Jonathan Huberto had a trillion points, right? And Sasha Barkov, when he was healthy, was just an absolute monster, right? Is that yep. going to continue? Can Paul Maurice add other things to their games that will make them even better? And that is also one of the keys, not necessarily for the regular season, but in the playoffs for sure. Because as we saw what happened in the playoffs when Tampa got to them, we saw what happened. So that is, yeah, another, key I... to, that is another key to this season, and it's been a key for the last couple of years and it's been the internal growth and development of those big three and if they can continue that then the sky's the limit obviously i'm less worried about huberto with maurice because i think you know what huberto needs is better tuning i think of his efforts and energy and emotion uh to get the most out of them uh, and I think Maurice, you know, the one thing he is good at, I think, is uh, he's very strong and he can be very angry, you know, and emotional and passionate um, when he wants to be and fired up. But I also think he at times has a very, you know, calm and wise demeanor and, you know, can sit back and, you know, has the right sort of touch. And I think, you know hopefully he can impart that or, you know, help Huberto with, you know, continue to gain some of that. Um, is that fire in him but, in a different way? Because Jonathan Huberto, when we know he plays at his best, is a very fiery guy. And so if he can harness that and channel that right. in a new direction, that is something. Like, these are all things that we're going to see when they play. This I'm usually not interested in the preseason in any single way, but this year I kind of am interested in the preseason because I want to see what Paul Maurice sees in this team and what that is because the way we saw the Panthers under Quenville and Brunette, which really wasn't all that different, um, is not going to be the same Panthers we see under Paul Maurice. We're going to see a lot of similar things, but it's not going to be entirely the same, and that is something we have to look at. There is a discussion we need to have, and I'm going to mark out the time code now. For those of you who are in a place where you don't want to listen to discussions about sexual assault and sexual uh, harassment, then this is the portion of the program where I would encourage you, you can skip it if you want, we'll have the time codes in there. Because they did sign Nick Cousins, and as Tommy knows, he's been a Flyers fan for a very long time. He was charged with sexual assault all the way back in 2013, and that was a long time ago, we have to say, but this stuff has absolutely merit right now considering what we are going through with the hockey canada situation and, and i'm going to say this from my and just and just in perspective last year you know less than a year ago we were talking about incidents in you know earlier than 2013 when it comes to the blackhawks and that's still being relevant so 
I think, you know, the NHL has, has proven that it's not too old to still be relevant. So here's what happened with, with, with Nick Cousins. And it, for those of you who didn't follow the Flyers and for those of you who, I mean, don't remember this, it was 2013. This was a very long time ago. Um, he was charged with sexual assault. He was arrested um, when he was playing with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds when he was a top prospect uh, for the Flyers. And he was, obviously, he was not charged with crimes. I think we need to make that clear. The charges were withdrawn against Cousins and a couple of teammates. They had no reasonable prospect of conviction, according to the prosecutors. And this was in Ontario. Uh, now, this being said, I think that for the Florida Panthers, and this is not just considering the Joel Quenville situation and what happened with Joel Quenville. I think this in general, I don't think players like this should be getting contracts. This is just my opinion. No matter whether this was nine years ago or not, no matter whether he was charged or not charged, in this case he was not charged, so the legal system dispensed its verdict, even if we know the legal system does not view uh, sexual assault cases in the way that it probably should. That is the case in the United States and in Canada, as we are seeing with what's happening with the Hockey Canada scandal right now. To me, personally, I don't think that players like this should be getting contracts. Teams have to be very careful signing players like this, no matter what happened. And perhaps if this happened later on in the timeline, then Nick Cousins is not in the league right now. Because there are players who have been charged with sexual assault. There's a, char- there's a uh, trial going on right now of Jake Furtanen. And if you read details of that, it's horrifically graphic that he's not in the league right now, will never be let back in again. So do I think that the Panthers signing Nick Cousins is something that is okay with me? No, I, I disagree with that signing on that principle, whether or not he's a good hockey player. And some of the comments that he made to the Panthers media when they asked questions, they did not ask about this for reasons that I cannot ascertain. But in my view, I would have asked Bill Zito about that and the answer I would have gotten was, it's nine years ago and the legal system dispensed its verdict. And it wouldn't have been satisfactory for me, but I really wish somebody for the Panthers media had asked about this, and they did I, not. I, I, think, I think, you know, it was asked about when, you know, he was by Flyers media when it was happening and everything, and then it became setter, settled matter. I don't remember if he was asked about it on one of his other teams, you know, when he was signed or anything, but I think... At that point, you know, after being on a few different teams and being so far, it being, you know, from their perspective, so far removed from the incident that, you know, why ask, why bring that up? Um, especially since, you know, you're not trying to anger the team that controls your press credentials and your availability, your access to, uh, you know, the players and the personnel you need to get quotes from. I think that this is going to be something that teams have to reconcile with. And that means even reconciling with things that have happened in the distant past. And 2013 doesn't feel like the distant past, but it was the distance past. We have to say that in a situation like this, we need to see teams be willing to take stands. And in my view, again, this happened in the past. Like I I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have signed this player. And to me, like some will say perhaps that he is, you know, just a, a 
bottom six forward, you know, and so therefore we shouldn't pay much attention or pay much mind to this. And I think that's exactly my point. If he's a bottom six player, inherently replaceable, why couldn't you have signed a player that doesn't have this history? You know? Yeah. To me, that that is exactly what happened. Like this, again, this went to a court. The evidence was presented in a court of law. He was not charged, but he was charged and arrested and put in jail momentarily for this, along with two other people. So to me, we, we have to take victims seriously. And some, and again, no matter whether the justice system properly deals with these cases or not, I am not in any position to say that. My background's in journalism and is not in law. But I think that the Florida Panthers, I think all teams have to be very, very careful with this sort of thing because as we're going to see with what happened with Hockey Canada, okay, we're going to see a very, very traumatic event for the entire sport when the names of who the players are involved in that case get released. And that's going to happen. We are going to see the way we view such situations change pretty dramatically. We've already seen it, and it's going to change even further. And for that reason, if we are talking about players like that, what happened four years ago, okay, that's not that long ago, some of these players are not going to perhaps be on the same team that they're on right now because contracts could get terminated. So if that's going to happen with those players, whatever happens, because the cover-up, I think, in this case is always worse than the crime, and this is obviously covered up by Hockey Canada, unlike in this situation where it went to trial. If those players are going to see their careers in jeopardy, which is possible, then Nick Cousins and something very similar happened here, I have to ask the same question. And I... I can only imagine, you know, what the victim in that case thinks anytime Nick Cousins gets another NHL contract. He obviously didn't work out with the Flyers. He's just on the Predators. You know, I can only imagine what she's thinking. And I can only imagine what the victim of what happened in 2018 in London, Ontario, is thinking as this case gets relitigated publicly many times over. So this is my opinion on that. I don't think the Panthers should have signed Nick Cousins. I think they have to understand. And... Obviously, they had to fire Joel Quenville, not because of something he did when he was with the Panthers, and I fully believe that he was let go of because the league understood they had to let him go and nudge them in that direction, but we don't need to rehash that. I think the Panthers should have understood the, the optics of that when they signed Nick Cousins. And as I said, has he reformed as a person? I cannot tell you that. I don't know. The only, the, the only person who can know that is him. I don't think the Panthers should have signed him, and that is my view on this, and... Is it, is, it, is it the biggest sin I've ever seen in hockey? No, but is it something that I approve of the Panthers doing? Absolutely not, and I have to make that clear. Yeah. I, I agree, especially that last part. Not the biggest sin because, man, we're, we're, we keep this uncovering, like, the, the keep uncovering some... With the Hockey Canada story, and I don't mean to make light of this, it's going to get worse, and I'm not going to be surprised by anything that is said. The, the threshold for being surprised as to what happens in hockey for me, considering who I know and what my position is in this sport, is really, really high. I've heard stories that I cannot say publicly that would be absolutely shocking to people. And I do mean that I'm not trying to say this hyperbole. Like, when I heard these stories, I was stunned. And my bar, again, extremely high. Yes? So, for that reason... I think people need to understand, like, when situations like this happen, they're going to get worse. But as Rick West had said when he was interviewed on the Steve Dangle podcast, which I encourage you to listen to on the Hockey Canada thing, like, we have to go through this. This sport is 
desperate for a cleansing, for a reckoning publicly. And when the prime minister of Canada is saying, what the hell are you doing? That is a very, very powerful moment. And it is really united in many ways, people in Canada on all sides of the spectrum, because they understand that this is a really bad look and they can't have it. So again, I make the point clear. I don't think the Panthers should have signed Nick Cousins based on what has happened in the past, no matter what the legal system said. I think we have to respect that this happens way too often in hockey. And the fact that we can name multiple different instances of situations like this coming up in recent history and that Hockey Canada had a fund to pay out outside of their insurance claims such as this lets you know that they knew it was a problem and they did not deal with it in the way that they should have. And you also made a good point on Twitter recently that USA Hockey has probably also likely done similar things because this is the sport of hockey. And I really highly encourage the people at USA Hockey to get their house in order before this comes for them because it will come for them next. And we've seen multiple organizations in USA sports. I don't need to rehash those stories either. Where when it comes for you, it comes hard. And when people who rightfully start to look for justice have their advocate, have somebody who's going to be willing to fight for them after long having no one to fight for them, you know what happens next. And I hope the horde of hockey is better because we are now reckoning with these things publicly. And that means careers are going to end. That means there's going to be a lot of painful talks publicly. And that means we have to talk about it, not just in the Hockey Canada situation or any others that come up, but situations like with Nick Cousins. This is just where we stand. You and I are both very much on the same page when it comes to this. And we have to talk about this publicly because I don't think we're talking about it enough with Nick Cousins vis-a-vis what else is going on in the sport right now. It seems that teams pick and choose based on the immediate blowback knowing that once if there's distance or if this person has been recycled through the league laundered through the league almost enough times that um they'll be able to avoid any impropriety or any blood on their hands um so you know it, it i hate to say this cynically but if let's just say some of the players in this Hockey Canada probe, like a Drake Batherson or a Carter Hart, or all these names are all just names on that roster because all we have are the is speculation at this point. So I'm just, you know, we're not, that, and I want to but, make this clear: the only way we know about these names are these players are either confirmed to have been not there, which is part of it. We know that from the statement of complaint or however it's phrased in Canada I I may have gotten that wrong we know that these were CHL players so the college U.S. college-based players were not involved and so people are speculating and I don't think that's a good thing but we know the names are going to come out and these could be very big stars on big teams and then the teams themselves are going to have to make a very difficult decision I I here's what I think is going to when these players get named like if let's just say hypothetically don't, don't, or whatever. No, let's not use a name, but whoever. But like if it's, if it's player A, there's going to be four or five teams that are thinking to themselves, hey, we can get player A pretty cheaply. And then there's going to be another 10 teams that say, hey, after player A goes through, goes through you know, two years with another team, we can probably bring him in and not face as much backlash. 
you know, like when he's a UFA or something. That's how people think because, oh, he's good at hockey or he can do this one thing with a puck. And uh... I, I, I think hopefully that way of thinking is going to change when this is all said and done. And I think it has hopefully, to but, personally. But, because, you know, you're we, looking we – keep We can't keep hand-waving away <sighs> – it's just it's just really disappointing and really frustrating and kind of, it makes me angry that like you know Zito and you know this team did the right thing in the fall and then now have to me lost all of that any goodwill I attributed to them because they they're now saying okay we did that so uh, that means we can get a free one here. And, and sign there, this in player. this situation, there there are no freebies, and that is, and and as I said, I wanted consistency with Joel Quenville. They had to let him go. We've already rehashed that discussion over and over, and we don't need to do it again. But then in this case, again, I don't think the Panthers should be signing him. I don't think any team in the league should be signing him. And that giant thunderstorm outside of my house as we were recording <laughs> this is telling me that this discussion needs to end. So again, I I do encourage people to. Follow Rick Westhead, follow the reporting on the Hockey Canada story, and go back and look at some of the reports on Nick Cousins from 2013 and 2014. You're going to be elucidating on uh, what happened in that situation. And, I mean, the coach of that Sue Greyhounds team was Sheldon Keefe, and the general manager of that Sue Greyhounds team was Kyle Dubas. What, I can only repeat what has been said, and I think this, the sport has to establish consistency when it comes to dealing with this. Because right now, we are not in a consistent place. We see, as I said, Jake Vertanen, that situation is going through trial as we speak. He lost his NHL contracts, not playing again. But then Nick Cousins, again, went through a trial. In that situation, there were no charges filed. But what we know is that he's still in the league, and he's been in the league for a very long time. I, I just hope that this league understands, and the teams understand, that we need consistency. And I wonder if the Hockey Canada situation and what is inevitably going to come from it when it is done will establish at least what these teams have to do and maybe it's the public that's going to establish what that has to be done and I wonder how many Panthers fans or casual hockey fans remember what happened with Nick Cousins because I didn't and then our friend Angie on Twitter brought it up and I remember and then I went oh that's right that happened and I went back and looked and I said yeah you know what they probably shouldn't have done this and we have to say something about it, and that's why we said it on this podcast. So, ahead, please keep following these stories, and I just, as we said, we want consistency, and we have not seen consistency from the league, from its teams, and everyone, and hopefully the, the silver lining of a really terrible situation with Hockey Canada is that we are going to start to see all of this taken in a far more serious light than it has been, and the consistency in dealing with this situation will be far better in the future. So, we are going to move back on to a hockey discussion now, speaking of the Flyers, and uh, the fact that they are, well, I mean, what, what would be the best word you would use to describe it, sir? Uh, I think that's Hopeless, rudderless, one of the worst teams in the NHL. I would say uh, they one are of the worst sports franchises discussion. in North America. I would say they are the most listless team in the league right now. Like, there are already fans protesting at the skate zone in Voorhees. Yeah. I mean, cuz they're just they're not they're saying they're saying they're retooling, they're not retooling cuz they're not bringing in any new tools. Um 
they say they want to be aggressive. They're not being aggressive. Their general manager is quoted as saying being aggressive was too difficult. Um, you know, they're not rebuilding, which a lot of fans want them to do. They're not getting the gimme of signing a player for free, not giving up assets who would sell a ton of jerseys uh, and wants to play for your team. I mean, they're just not doing anything. And it makes me feel, I can't believe I'm saying this, happy that the Panthers aren't this level of bed as the Flyers anymore. Um, well, because I, I, I couldn't take I both teams. During that, the free agency period, that the Panthers, even at their worst under Talon, you still had reason to believe because they had the stars and Barkoff and Uberto and Ekblad, they were young, right? And you had that hope. But this team... This Flyers team has none of that. We saw what they were last year, and the major changes they made were you add Tony D'Angelo, who is a one-trick pony and not exactly the character that I think people, Flyers fans, are certainly not happy with it. You had a grinder in Nick Delorier. The virgin opinion among Flyers fans. Well, I mean, some, but I mean, at least the ones I see, they they were not pleased with that. But even, even if you can excuse his personal behavior. And I think it's very important to say that, listen, there are a lot of bad people in sports and people who have very terrible views that we both vehemently disagree with. And Tony D'Angelo has views that we vehemently disagree with. Unfortunately, it's pro sports and there are a lot of people who have terrible views in pro sports. There's nothing we can do about that. People have terrible views in life. But even that said, Tony D'Angelo is not fixing the Flyers' problems. They are not improving your defense core by adding a one-trick pony defenseman who was in the best situation he could possibly be in in Carolina, and that was probably the best they were going to get. He's not going to have that same impact in Philadelphia playing with whoever he's playing with. It's just not possible. And that wasn't their biggest issue of all the other issues they had. But I think, as you said, Johnny Gaudreau wanted to be a Philadelphia Flyer. And in the past... Obviously, a pass without a salary cap. But even in the salary cap era, we know that the Flyers would have done everything possible to make Johnny Gaudreau a Flyer. And that was because that's what the Flyers did. That's who they were. They were aggressive all the time, sometimes to their detriment. But now you've basically thrown up your hands and said, we can't be aggressive to get Johnny Gaudreau? Like, some of that is mismanagement from the past. But some of that is mismanagement from right now. You didn't need to give Rasmus Ristolainen the, the money they gave him. You didn't need to give Tony D'Angelo the money they gave him. You didn't need to do some of these other contracts that they've done. Consider that, again, Johnny Gaudreau wanted to be a flyer. You might not have had to pay the same level of, of salary that he got in Columbus because Johnny Gaudreau wanted to be a flyer. These are things that this organization used to do, and they're not doing right now. And Chuck Fletcher and company don't want to rebuild but they're about to enter a full-scale rebuild because we know that this team is going to be really bad this year. They're not any better than they were. And maybe the best-case scenario for them is Ryan Ellis is Ryan Ellis again, but that's highly unlikely based on everything they've said. So what do you have? You have a team that is basically the same as last year with a different coach. I don't think you can... Coaching hasn't changed this mess. I don't think you can go into a rebuild without a conscious decision to do that. I think that they're just going to be bad, and that there's not, there isn't, it's not going to be a retool or rebuild or any or re anything. It's just going to be bad because they they don't have a plan, and 
if they rebuild, like, so they have to rebuild. Okay, well, if they're rebuilding, that means um, Travis Konechny needs to be traded. That means... Uh, and Provorov have to go? Yeah, Sean Couturier needs to be traded. Who are, Who's going to make these trades and make them in a way that puts an actual team on the ice down the line for the for the Flyers. I don't know who can do that. Do you trade Carter Hart? Do you just keep him around? Do you, you know who's going to be making these decisions in the rebuild because it all it has to be the, the biggest thing about a rebuild and this is and Talon did this this was kind of what Talon was actually good at was you have to build a team. There's different positions, there's different toolkits you need, there's different personalities you need, and you kind of have to... And he he got Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad. Um, he had Markstrom, which, you know, turned out to work as well, but that was, you know, so for somebody else. Or I, don't, I don't remember if he drafted Markstrom or not. Markstrom um, was the regime before, but he had okay. always been touted as a highly, you know, valued right. prospect. But, and then eventually what happened was... Markstrom gets traded in the Luongo trade. And, yeah, but you know, um, but, but 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 like that's the you were right about that. But what I they think got that, they got the, the town, you, like you needed to know what to get. Like so, if they get they get Bedard, like cool, like that's the easy part. Now you have to get wingers. You have to get others. You have to get complementary centers. You have to get defensemen. They're terrible getting defensemen. You know, they you have to build a team around them. They have. A decent amount of goalies you know so and they have some parts like cam york you know i'm assuming is going to be staying for the rebuild and bobby brink maybe and and all these parts but it's like okay so who are they where do they fit in a team structure and slots and then who are the guys that you're going to be slotting around them um you know it's going to be tough for joel farabee but you know, they could turning it around. The thing is, they're stuck with Fletcher until, like, you know, Comcast isn't going to fire Fletcher at least until November. They're 100% can't, can't say that they gave this guy the keys to the kingdom to go through the draft with the fifth overall pick, a really big year, and then free agency and then immediately say, this dude was wrong, we shouldn't have done it, and fire him. Who are you going to hire to replace him? You know, all that stuff. You have to let the games play out. Wait till they start losing, yada, yada, say, you know, it didn't come together. Fire him, you know, mid-year so you can bring in a guy who can assess, bring in a general manager who can assess the team and, you know, work the trade deadline and get ready for the draft and a, in a, and start the rebuild. And I'm going to make my opinion clear. Like there's very little the flyers are going to do from now until the start of the season. That's going to change my opinion. Like I think, and you and I both agree. And I think most flyers fans will tell you, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. And if they are one of the worst teams in the leagues off the hop in October, November, which I think they will be, then what else can Chuck Fletcher do? He's already gone through multiple different coaches. Clearly, that hasn't worked. The moves he's made haven't worked. So what is left for the ownership of the Philadelphia Flyers to do? They would have to change the general manager. And I can imagine, because it's Philadelphia, that there will be not just empty seats at Wells Fargo Center, 
but a large amount of discontent, and it's all going to be pointed at Chuck Fletcher. So yeah. we, we can see where this is ending, and I do believe that he's going to get fired in season because they're going to be yeah. so bad that they don't have a choice. Yep. He's, yeah, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Atkinson gets traded back to Columbus. If you well, know, they... Apparently he wants to go back to Columbus. He <laughs> wants to live there. I mean, if you listen to the, what Elliot Freeman said on 32 Thought. Anyway, but, yeah. like, but I, I believe no, that no, this, is, this, is, like, this is where this is heading. Like, we can all see it. Chuck Fletcher might not see it, and Dave Scott might not see it, but I think everyone sees it. This is a bad this team is... that has gotten no better. And the this, only way to change it is at this point, start it over. And that's really where what's left. Like, what's, what is even the best case scenario for this team, right? Like, that's the other thing. What is the best case scenario for the Philadelphia Flyers this season? You scrape your way uh, into the playoffs and lose in the first round? Because that's I mean, really it. That's all that their ceiling is. The best case scenario is Sean Couturier shows that he is a top centerman regardless of who plays with him. Everybody else has a career year. They make the playoffs and they somehow turn Provorov or Konechny or something into like a big trade trip to bring in a star player or something. Um, I don't, I don't know, but honestly it might just be, like Ryan Ellis sits out another year. Sean Couturier doesn't really do anything this year. Uh, Cam Atkinson, you know, maybe gets traded for some picks. They take another year off of, um, you know, they get rid of James Van Riemsdyk, you know, at the deadline or something um, when it's a little easier. And they're bad. They get a top pick, and then they try to be good again next year. But, you know... They could have done that a whole lot better. I mean, it's it's funny you know, how because... like, you've got teams in the league now that are deliberately trying to be bad. You've got teams that are turning that into an art form. And yeah. yet the Flyers are one of the very few examples in the modern NHL of an old school, truly bad team that doesn't know it's going to be bad. But, I mean, the, the best case scenario is literally everybody gets hurt on the flyers they do bad and then they're good next year like like you know the best case scenario is d'angelo and mr lining are worth the money are good but they're bad next year they still get a top pick and then they're good the following year (laughs) that's the best case scenario i mean the only thing i can give chuck fletcher credit for was in the james van reemsdyke dumping a contract they did not want to trade their 2023 first round pick. And well, that's yeah. the right idea because they know that they are probably in the running for high level prospect, even if they're not wanting to admit that they're going to the, be that bad. Uh, that, that wasn't a bad play. The bad play was forcing it to be the only way you could get Johnny Goudreau was if you paid a first round pick to get JVR because you already spent over $10 million on defensemen who would be on most teams third pair. Yeah. Like again, some of it is mismanagement from the past, but a lot of it is mismanagement from Chuck Fletcher. And, and Comcast, you can't, you can't say 
enough bad things about Comcast when it comes to running the Philadelphia Flyers. I honestly hope that not only is Fletcher run out of a job, but Dave Scott is run out of a job, that Comcast sells the team, and that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Somebody, somebody with a modicum of the Philadelphia Flyer spirit buys the team and would never, I mean, I like, I find it really hard to believe that Paul Holmgren and Bobby Clark and Danny Breer are in the front office right now, like happy. Like oh, I, hope, I, I think like, there's I, some part of Paul Holmgren where he's like losing his mind. Because I mean, as much as Paul Holmgren failed, it wasn't as like he still was always trying. He pulled off a great move to get Pronger. It's not his fault Pronger got career ending high stick to the eye, you know, and concussions and stuff from that injury. You know, it's not you know, that just happened. But, you know, he there was a lot of things that Holmgren did that showed you he had some chops as a GM, but mainly he understood how to put a plan to get see what the team needed and go out and go get it. Uh, you know, and I, I just can't see somebody with his competitiveness and fire and, you know, that past experience of pushing to go and win and to actually do an aggressive retool, you know, he's had to go through that. I can't think that he's sitting there happy that they lost out on Goodrow, that they, you know, I, you know, Matthew Kachuk doesn't want, didn't list Philadelphia, you know, like they're, Oh, can you, Matthew Kachuk you know, is the most Flyers player imaginable. Like that, that yep. is that like, again, imagining a world in which the Flyers of the past would have gone all out to get him because that's what the Flyers used to do. So it, it, it's, yeah. it's a shame. I mean, if they don't have, wither. if they, if they didn't do this whole retooling the last couple of years and we're already at the end of the rebuild, they would not have Kevin Hayes' seven million. They would not have JVR's seven million. They, you know, wouldn't have these two defensemen. So that's that's twenty four million. They wouldn't have. They could have gotten Goudreau and Kachuk from Calgary. You know, like and have all these draft picks and be coming out and building a team out of that. Like they had a chance two years ago. They had the chance last year. They keep delaying rebuilding. And which means that they're never open to opportunities that can really yeah. increase their talent. Which Again, is we, we've we've said this before. This is a sports town that understands a rebuild if you plan it right. You don't. Yeah. I mean, yes, I understand that the Sixers play, uh, the process was kind of screwy, but if you do the rebuild right, you explain it properly you're going to get buy-in from the fan base. This is a smart fan base and a smart sports town. They know what they need to expect. And I tell you what, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, they did a poll of fans of which of the five teams in the town is more likely to win a championship soonest. The winner was the Union. (laughs) I love what the Philadelphia Union have done. That is one of the most admirable sports teams in all of the sports that I follow. They are doing incredible things. But that shouldn't be happening. 
I'm sorry. Like, the union shouldn't be the team that is holding up the banner for well-run sports franchises in Philadelphia. Somebody else should be doing better than them. And the fact that nobody is and nobody's even close is a really bad sign. And it is a real indictment on everybody else. And the team that would finish fifth is the Flyers. Like, they're, they're, people have more faith in the Phillies at this point than, than the Flyers. Oh, yeah, That's saying sure. something. And the Phillies are a disaster. Less of a disaster than they had been, but they're a disaster. So More faith in the Eagles, more faith in the Philadelphia Kicks, more faith in... Do the Kicks even exist anymore? I'd still have the... more faith in them to win. Matt. How about the Wings? The Philadelphia yeah. Wings? Yeah, you name it. You name it. I, I well, again... I mean, I... It, yeah, I mean, there's nothing more to say other than right now, the best thing, the only thing Philadelphia can do to start getting better is raise their hand, say, it's not working, get a new general manager, get a new direction, and start the rebuild. And I think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen by hooker. By and, hook. and, it's and, not going to happen because they want it to. It's going to happen because it's going to happen. Yeah, and and the problem is, even if they wanted it to happen right now, they know they can't really do it right now because the things we already talked about, it's going to have to be later in the fall and stuff because it's the only, they're, they're now just trying to save face because, and that's if they even understand their mistakes, you know, Dave Scott and Comcast could be, you know, the biggest supporters of Fletcher saying, you know, we think we have a chance to win a round in the playoffs. We think we have a chance to start building something here. I mean, and they, that'd they, be they hilarious. Could, but I think once they get to November and they see the standings and they see the empty Wells Fargo Center, they're going to understand, well, right. we got to do something. And they, they will notice that. And they're, and again, they, they, people might not think that these executives know what's going on on social media. They do. They, they see it. They see what people are writing in the athletic. They see what people are writing in the Philly Inquirer. They see what's, what, you know, is happening on WIP and, you know, 97.5, the fan, all that. They know in this town, there's nowhere to hide. You know, we, we might follow sports teams in some cases where you have somewhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide in Philadelphia. There is never a place you can hide when you're a Philadelphia sports team. Anyway, that's the Flyers. I think we made it clear. It's even more evident now. Uh, I want to go over to some couple of some moves in free agency, some things that happened that interested me. I'm going to make a point, and I think we made this before. I saw somebody ask on Twitter, who's the most likely team to challenge the Avalanche in the West? And I think we already talked about this move, but I think it's pretty evident to me who the best non-Avs team in the West is. I, we've talked about this team a bit. The LA Kings? You are correct. Um I mean, eventually one day, I I would if St. Louis can get a figure out a way to get Matthew Kachuk. Yes, that, uh, that would that, be if the Blues get Kachuk and they don't totally get their team. I would think the Blues have a chance. You're absolutely right. And I, I, think, I and I think the Oilers had a very solid off season, even if they're going to trade Puliyarvi, which is stupid. But I think they did a really good job of you know they kept Kane, they kept Kulak, they got Jack Campbell. They're a better team than they were a year ago. And that's important. They're going to not start the year with Dave Tippett as their head coach. You know, I can completely understand if you think it's going to be Edmonton. But I just think we are, we are sleeping on the Kings. This is what the Flyers could be doing, and they're not doing. This is how you do a rebuild properly. They tore it down. They got picks and prospects. 
They knew exactly when they needed to start accelerating the rebuild. We thought last year maybe some of the moves they made were a little bit questionable in doing so, but they were absolutely right. It was the time to start winning again, and they nearly beat the Oilers in the playoffs. They now have Kevin Fiala, and if they want to make a big move, they can get Matthew Kachuk too if they want to. They've got plenty of picks and prospects to make it happen. They can do it. And I think that that's exactly how a rebuild should be done. You know, you get the picks and prospects, you watch those young players grow, and you have to know internally and make the decision when it's right to start trying to win again, and the Kings got it right, and I look at them next year, they might not be the best team in the Pacific Division, but if I look at them in the playoffs, and I look at who their coach is, and I look at what they have, and who they didn't have last year in the playoffs, I go, that Kings team, with a little bit more goal scoring, could have beaten Edmonton. And we'll see what happens with a run after that. And I'm telling you what, I think the Kings are a really big threat next year. And whoever is available at the trade deadline, they're going to have all of the assets to go after them and get that. So I think the Kings are a yeah. big threat. It's not because of, you know, they did anything in free agency that was notable. They, they've basically done nothing. But they didn't need to do anything because they're already in a good place. They made the big move to get Kevin Fiala. And I like that team a lot. I think that team's got a, a real chance next year to be the team that challenges Colorado the most. Nobody in the in the in the West is really at challenging Colorado yet. Even if I'm not sure about the goaltending, but it didn't matter last year. I don't think it'll matter when you have a team as good as they are. It I, I would like for me the Kings next year and how much they can compete and you know be up with the top of the standings is What's Drew Doughty, what's Sean Walker's health look like? Because uh, that's a very young blue line outside them. I'm assuming really... in my prediction that Drew Doughty is something approaching what Drew Doughty could be. That is, that is, that is an assumption that I am making, and I'm not yeah. sure if that's a good assumption. But if you're getting anything approximating Drew Doughty being Drew Doughty next year, then the Kings are an absolute threat to do big things. And... Again, I'm going to make that marker down now. I am going to keep that going in the future. And again, they could also trade for Matthew Kachuk. And imagine what happens if they do. And then people will really start to say, yeah, the Kings are a threat. And I'm saying that that's the case now. Um, in terms of other things uh, in, in the league that I, I found particularly interesting, not just with Johnny Gaudreau going to Columbus, which obviously I think was... As I said, like, it's one of the most stunning free agent things we've ever seen. Because when Johnny Gaudreau left Calgary, and I think we all assumed it was possibly going to happen, and his reasons for leaving are reasonable. He would like to be closer to family. Even if, again, it's not exactly the closest to South Jersey. I've done a drive from South Jersey to Ohio once. It's not very close, but again, that doesn't matter. He's playing in the Metro Division. He's going to make multiple trips to Philly and New Jersey and the both New York teams, so... It's closer to home than Calgary is. In fact, it might be Iceland might be closer to uh, South Jersey than Calgary is, let's be honest. It's still amazing to watch the Blue Jackets pull that off. And it's good for them that they pulled that off because we know what the, what the MO on that franchise was for years was they can't keep anybody, nobody wants to stay there. Well, they, they, they haven't had been great, able to keep Goudreau, though. They, they brought him in, and, and I don't think that they've ever had problems necessarily bringing guys in. It's, again, can they keep them? Because at the end of the day, if it's always one and done in the playoffs, um, the top town isn't going to want to stay, unless they don't care about winning. 
I think that the Blue Jackets, for all that they have struggled to win, we admire Yarmo Kekalainen, obviously. You know, the Panthers GM came from the Columbus organization, and you can see some of what Bill Zito took from Yarmo Kekalainen. I don't agree with that Erica Branson signing at all, but okay, you signed Johnny Goudreau, I might be willing to overlook that. They, they also did a retool on the fly perfectly. They get rid of, they have to trade Seth Jones. So they do that, and their entire prospect system was essentially rebuilt because of that trade. That's how you do this. And they knew exactly what they needed to do. They're a good organization in terms of development. And then they take an opportunity in getting Johnny Gaudreau, and they go seize it. But Yarmo Kekalainen has always been bold. They were in on Kadri, apparently. They were gonna they offer sheeted Mitch Marner. He didn't take it, but they offered sheeted Mitch Marner. He's willing to be bold. And as I said, it, it's in contrast with the fact that other teams in the league are not willing to be as bold as they are. And that's oh boy. I mean, when you're boldest GMs in Columbus, Ohio. And for a franchise that's won one playoff series in its history, that's, that's saying something. Anyway, good, good for the Blue Jackets. I'm not sure the Blue Jackets are good this year because last year they were unable to play defense. As we saw multiple times when the Panthers played the Blue Jackets, they absolutely tore through them. They looked like an ECHL team. They will be better. I don't know if they're playoff better. Um, well, it depends. The- Do they, you know, they have to either trade line A or make room for line A. I think they're making room for line A. Uh, Who's their centers? That is a a question. I mean, like, their best center is Jack Rosalick, Sean Corrali. Well, Cole Sillinger's getting pretty good. I mean, he might not be top top center yet, but he's... he's, Yeah, but I mean, his ceiling is maybe... You know, like, that's like saying, like, Vinny Trocek at 19 was getting good. Like, yeah, but he's still, like, not even going to be close to the type of center they need for Goudreau. Um, You know? So, they have a lot of good wingers. They have Kent Johnson, who maybe will be a center, but probably is a winger. I don't know. I would like to see them figure out a way to get a center. And I think Line A is the best chance to get that. It's possible. I mean, I, I thought when Gaudreau... Sam Bennett for Patrick Laine. Let's do it. I mean, as I right. said, I don't know if Paul Maurice wants to do the Patrick Laine thing again. Although, let's be honest, Patrick Laine in... He, Florida, he would be so lucky. Would be, would be so good. I yeah, mean, Barkov, he, Barkov and Laine, I think, would be... I mean, that would be that would be a cheat code. It would be too much fun. I don't know if the league should allow that to happen because that might be too much fun I for think all so. of us. I mean, I, I, would, I would endorse it, but... Uh, but again, good for the Blue Jackets for getting yeah, the players they yeah. got. And, good for, the, and, and good for the Senators, too, for knowing that they can now take the step to being good. They traded for Debrinket. It was great. They got Giroux, and I'm happy for them that they get Claude Giroux. And he's going to be good for that team. They're going to have a sure. really, really fun I, I'm time kind there. of upset that Giroux kind of just gave up on chasing the cup. and he Or he thinks his best chance at the cup is to wallow in ottawa for a year or two and maybe have them win a cup i don't um, know if the senators are that close to winning a cup because they that's what i'm saying and, have, you know but best case scenario that's what he's hoping for and, and i think that that to me is almost akin to giving up so i don't know well it's i, I don't agree with that but i'm i'm happy for senators fans that they have something to cheer about after again just years of disasterific management yeah and and as i said Ever since Eugene Melnick passed away, sadly, the Senators have done a lot of good things. 
Like, it reminds me in some ways, and this is not any way comparable to an owner dying, but reminds me of, remember the day when the Panthers traded for Roberto Luongo? That it was the same day that Michael Yormark left as president and CEO of the team. And, like, three hours later, the Panthers have Roberto Luongo on their team again. Like, it was that moment when I recognized that the Panthers I had known for many years are not the Florida Panthers that were going to be present in the future. And now, after these last few weeks, the Ottawa Senators we knew under Eugene Melnick are not the Ottawa Senators we are going to know right now. I don't think they're a playoff team at this point because they don't have any semblance of defense yet. And I still think that bottom six is weak. But that's a much better team and they're trying to win and that's good. And I think for markets like Columbus and Ottawa, you really need that little push. You know, you need that optimism. Like you could sell hope with prospects, but then at some point you need to see wins. Right. And I think in both of those markets, they're now going to maybe start to see actual wins and reasons to believe that their winning window is coming. And that's what you need. And that, that that's why this off season was great for those fan bases. Um, a couple other things that I think were interesting to me. Um, Detroit ended up giving Ben Sherratt too big a contract. So, as I said uh, on Twitter at one point, probably deleted the tweet because it didn't get any likes or uh, any uh, in- interaction and engagement. Uh, sometimes even your heroes can make big mistakes. <laughs> because we're all like, oh, Steve Eiserman's a great GM, and then they give that contract to Ben Sherratt. All the other deals well, they did were f- perfectly fine. It's just that listen, I wouldn't have signed I, Ben Sherratt to that contract. I don't... I'm not a huge fan of Ben Sherratt. I don't, I don't know what some people see in him. However, I will say this. Steve Eiserman has a history of signing these types of defensemen to contracts in Tampa, in Detroit, and it seems to work out well for him. So, you know, there's a, you know, Jan Ruda is a thing because of him. And, you know, I mean, you're he, right. <laughs> the thing in Detroit is they are going to have by the, you know, maybe not next year, but the year after that and, you know, the last three years of that deal, there is no way this guy is going to be, you know, the guy that they count on for a lot of things. You know, he's going to be a role player for them. And they will have their star players on less than expensive contracts. So the math can can work. And if he, you know, maybe he can plug them in the right way. So we'll see. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have done it. But if there's one, if there's a few general managers I trust with a signing like this, it'd be, you know, Eisenman in this or Sackick signing uh, Manson uh, to that extension. Chris yeah. McFarland, technically, because Sackick's upstairs, but yes, I understand. Right, yeah, yeah. When the Panthers eventually win the Stanley Cup, cross your fingers, Bill Zito becomes president and Roberto Luongo becomes GM. Like, that's the that's what we all hope for, and that's what I think will happen one day with the Panthers. A um, couple other moves that I, I wanted to get to as we wrap this up. I think that there were a couple of uh, teams that did, some, that did some odd things. Not necessarily odd, but trades that came in our... I have to say the Penguins, when you were talking about Bill Zito earlier and the fact that the Panthers seem kind of, you know, squeezed, then you see the Penguins who are perpetually up against the salary cap and always find ways to make moves, right? Yep. And I think that they found a way to do those things. I Whether you agree with, you know, 
trading John Marino to New Jersey. They got Ty Smith, who's a defenseman. They will make better because Ty Smith is not in New Jersey anymore. They traded for Jeff Petrie, who's a better version of Mike Matheson. And Matheson has improved pretty greatly in Pittsburgh, which I did not see coming. I have to be I, honest. I mean, I, I don't – he has a tool set he does and skill set he – can play too well when you just put him on the ice and staple him to Crosby. And, you know, I think, I think that helps. I want to see what he does in Montreal, a team that where there's not going to be a, a, a pretty cemented structure and support system that he's just kind of stapled onto. Um, he's going to have to be more of that support system for others and uh it'll be interesting to see i'm hopeful he does well because i like mike matheson oh i think he's uh, a great person and the panthers ruined his development and it's happy to see that he got a chance in pittsburgh to thrive and he did keith yandel's contract ruined his development also correct i think we could say that uh the canadians i know you tweeted something about this or retweeted something about this and that they might send slavkovsky to juniors yeah why? Like, I mean, like, I can understand, like, you want to get him playing on North American ice. I, I understand that. But so his best development is served is not by doing, like, there are not many players who you could say go from, you know, playing with men in a pro league, which is what he did, to now you're going to play against kids in junior hockey. Yes. Yes, and usually it's reserved for people who don't look like they are holding their own in the pro leagues, and that's why they go back to junior, uh, which is not the case with Slavkovsky. Um, I think, you know, the one thing I was concerned with Montreal was not their ability to identify um, the right sort of people and the right sort of talent. It was developing him, put him in the place and stuff, just because they don't really have that much experience in that part of it. So this will be interesting. And they're doing the same with Philip Mazar, uh, who's, you know, they're, they're saying both of them can't play uh, for the world junior team. They're saying both of them can't, you know, so, and, and you know, coming to junior. So it's going to be interesting. It's a big gamble. Um, you know, to me, it's you always want a player playing, you know, at a level that k- keeps them engaged and makes them have to play outside their comfort zone to get better. Um, and I don't see them being in that situation in junior hockey. Uh, so, you know, it's not like he was in a situation where he was playing mainly defensive minutes or small minutes in the pro, and this is to, to avoid that. You know, he was a player that nationally or professionally, you know, was leaned on to to make things happen when he was on the ice. So, I mean, blows my mind. Uh, we'll see if Hughes and, and Gordon and, you know, Marty St. Louis know what they're doing. Um, I hope it works out because, you know, this is the number one pick who some people say you took. I don't, but there's a lot of people who say you already took a chance picking, you know, the winger over the center or the Europe, you know, over right or over coolly or, you know. My question also, if you're, well, I can understand it because, you know, the Canadians are going to be bad next year and you don't want your top prospect, number one overall pick, unless they are totally exceptional and have to play, you know, day one in the NHL. 
and I don't know if Slavkovsky is that. You don't want them playing on a team that's going to lose a lot. And the Canadians next year are very likely going to lose a lot. I don't play them in the AHL. It's in a front. It's in Laval. I mean, it's going to be a good indoctrin. You know, a good welcome to Quebec and you know what type of microscope and and you know how the fans are and everything. I don't, you know, he's a le- he's it's not like he's in the C- he can only play in the CHL. Like he can play in the AHL. So it makes it a little makes it a little frustrating, but I guess we'll see what they really do uh at the end of the day. Well, they're uh, going to be bad this year. So, I mean, it's it's just it, because when you're bad, you know, you look towards the development and that's really important for Slavkovsky, you can't start off mismanaging a number one. Yeah, they, they and, mismanage so many top draft picks in the. Yeah, top. and and you know if they're worried about like oh we can't have him in the AHL because we're going to be bad and then people will be saying call him up, call him up, call him up. Well then just leave him across the pond. Yeah, just let keep, keep him playing in Finland. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is. I mean, well, and my other yeah. question is with Shane Wright, like what are the Kraken going to do with him? I personally think, also, he's probably going to go back to junior because the Kraken are going to be bad. So that would be my guess. But... Yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely a case where there should be an exception to go to the AHL because one of the things with Shane Wright is people thought that since last in his draft year, being in a, you know, an exceptional status player he's kind of had played the amount of games in the ohl that he can really obsessively get better you know that was pushing him and and he's too good for the league now and he didn't he necessarily wasn't as engaged throughout the draft year as he as a lot of people thought he should be so to send him back to junior i'm just like i don't know how how good that is for the player in the development he already has a chip on his shoulder. You're going to send him back to the OHL where he already thinks he's too good to be and, uh, you know, or he is too good to be. And, you know, it would be much more helpful for him to be the AHL. I don't think he's NHL ready or necessarily NHL ready that, you know, that makes it kind of force his hand to have to play on a bad NHL team. Like, what's the use of giving him those garbage minutes? Um, Yeah. You need to have a plan when you you do that. And, like, we saw it last year. Very few of the top players played in the NHL. I think think Cole Sillinger might have been the only one, really, of the 2021 class that went right into the NHL because everyone knew – like, not only are you going to be on a bad team, but we have that development situation that, you know, precluded, I think, a lot of those players from doing it. And now it's a little bit different this year because we're back to normal, in air quotes. But as I said, I, I think that it's it's tricky. Like, I don't think the Kraken would even think about sending Shane Wright to play in a pro league in Europe. But it's like, it's something that maybe you'd want to do. You know, maybe it's not a bad idea. Because, as you said, like they can't play in the AHL because of the way that the deals are structured with the CHL so they could send the players back. Because if not, then all of them would basically play in the in the AHL, and they don't want that. So, I, I, I yeah, agree I mean, I think that they just need to make an exception for first round picks or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it's, if you're a first round pick, you can play in the AHL a year earlier. 
it's yeah. fascinating. It is it is it is interesting to to see what will happen with these players. A uh, couple other things that we need to note before we get out of here. Uh, I want to say um, congratulations to a whole host of teams for getting better but not being good enough to possibly challenge for a playoff spot. The winner of this award is. As we said, Ottawa and Detroit are definitely there, but the winner is New Jersey, obviously. They failed to get Johnny Gaudreau, and I don't know why they failed to get Johnny Gaudreau. That should have been a slam dunk. Uh, Newark. It's called Newark, New Jersey. Newark's not um, that bad. Yes, it is. It is awful. Uh, New Jersey, by and large, some of those good reference, uh, good restaurants in Ironside? It's very nice. Who wants to go to New Jersey, live in Newark, and play for Lindy Ruff? Like, come on. Well, you're also playing for next head coach of the Devils, Andrew Burnett, inevitably. Yeah, and what has he done? Lost to the playoffs. I mean, we have to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I mean spe- speaking of a, of a GM that I think should be under a lot more pressure than he is, that would be Tom Fitzgerald, because I think this is the year he. I think this is a huge year for him. I think you're absolutely right because, I I think it starts with not getting Goudreau and um, like, there's nothing wrong with bringing in. Andre Pilat, even though his best games are in the playoffs and the Devils don't get there. There's nothing wrong with bringing in John Marino. That's a perfectly reasonable move, although it came at the expense of trading a player whose development they completely screwed up in Ty Smith, which says a lot to me. I don't know if their goaltending is better. And the Devils are a better team than they were before. But we've said that constantly about them, and I know Devils fans, and I think they're, they're maybe willing to admit this now, that at some point, the promise of the future actually has to become promise of the present. And I don't see promise of the present when they're better, but they're not playoff better. That's the problem. And, I, I mean, the Devils should also be thinking about trading for Matthew Kachuk. But even then, I'm like, I don't know if that makes them playoff better. They have I the think... ability to do something like that. They need to find a way to make themselves into a team that can legitimately contend for the playoffs because they have made one postseason in the last 10 years and won one playoff game. I I think what uh, Fitzgerald, their general manager, is doing is I think he understands where they are, that Hughes is probably another year away from making a big jump, um, that you know they have a good defense, it's not great, uh, their best defenseman still has a couple years left in, in his prime. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out their goalie situation. Uh, and, you know, but the real question is they have a very tough contract to work out with Jesper Bratt right now. Uh, and what they, I think, are really focusing on is not messing that up. That contract's going to be, uh, you know, and what they do with Jesper Bratt, who's going to arbitration, you know, do they trade him before arbitration? Do they get a deal done? Is it short term? Is it long term? Does if it gets to arbitration, that's usually not good for a long term marriage with the team. Um, you know, there's it's a pretty dis- divisive and uh, com- confrontational process. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think that's going to decide a, a huge part of their future. Um, and then I think it's smart to want to see, okay, how does how does Mercer do this year? You know, how does Palat integrate with the group? Um, you know, and, 
and see how everything moves for another year. Uh, but I think, you know, if things are go well, they start to have to make moves trade deadline next off season to, to take it to the next level. Um, and, and the main thing is goalie, get a goalie, your New Jersey, um, you need to I, I finally that solve that. I don't, I don't like it. It's, I don't think it's good enough. I simply don't. And, and, and this is the thing that I, I talk about with teams that are trying to get out of the rebuild and get to being actually good. Like, that's the hardest part of all. And we've seen some teams figure it out. I mean, you said the Kings knew what they were doing. The Rangers got lucky because they got Igor Shesterkin. You know, that helps. But there are teams that struggle to get out of the rebuild phase and into the actual winning phase and New Jersey is the team that is really really stuck I think and I mean if they if they have another like truly not good season like they need to show promise if they don't have another good season then I I wonder what that looks like for them and as I said you've got the head coach in waiting right next to Lindy Ruff like we all know that at this point even whatever we think of Andrew Burnett and the GM you know that that that's got something's got to happen, and as I said, that Ty Smith trade, like John Marino's a good defenseman, but like they bust. I think it's worth it. Their 2018 first round pick. But what's happening so then, next? So then, what they they got, you know, a, a top four defenseman who can't go anywhere for a couple of years, who's locked in at four point four. No, I you know through his twenties. I think it's a very good trade. I like John Marino a lot. I think that you know it's possible that he's hit his ceiling. But my point is, I worry when you, you have to trade a first-round pick whose development you botched, and that's true. Now what are you going to do? Because, I mean, Jack Hughes is Jack Hughes. It's very hard to screw up a first overall pick. But you've got other of these guys. Where is their development? Like, they, they, it has to start to change. Well, they, they, I think they're does. doing well. I think they're doing well developing players. I mean, I think that they've been patient enough with Jack Hughes, who hasn't been doing as well as he was hyped to be, but I think that was more because the hype wasn't, uh, you know, accurate going into his draft year. Obviously, Nico Hischier has, you know, been in good NHL development story. Um, Igor Sharagovich, you know, he's he's come over and found some instant success. Dawson Mercer, um, you know, there's Boquist, there's Bratt. Um, even, you know, Nathan Bastian hasn't been the best prospect development but they've stuck with him and they've made a you know you know they picked him off waivers they hung with him and they got you know they're getting something out of him um and so i think that they're committed to their development and that that's positive it's i can they can they add the right veteran pieces around them and you know the prime nhl players to help them um, cause they're like you said, they're not all going to work out and you're going to have to pick out which of the ones to move out and replace those spots with, you know, more John Marino's, more Dougie Hamilton's, more Andre Palat's and Thomas Tatar's and stuff like that. I mean, um, as I said, I don't, you don't want to see teams lose and be as bad as they've been for very long. But I mean, watch, I remember that game in April when the devils were up, what was it? Five, one. And then they lost to the Panthers and it was just like, Jesus 
figure this out because at some point fans aren't going to buy hope anymore. They actually want wins. Yeah, and that's, and I don't that's care. The thing that... I don't care if the Rangers figure it out. I mean, or the Devils or the Islanders, to be honest well, with you. Well, There's well, too many teams in the metropolitan New York area, and I think that one of them should leave, and we should get Quebec back. But that's uh, just me. I can't do that. I know too many Devils and Islanders fans. I can't say that. Anyway, a so couple then. Other... Couple other so then let's make it the Rangers. Screw okay. the Rangers. <laughs> that would be funny. A uh, couple other things I, I want to mention. Um, you, we were talking about Vegas level cap management earlier. I mean, trading Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coghlan for nothing just other than cap relief was really, really funny. And, of course, they go to Carolina, uh, who get exactly what they need in terms of scoring. I, that's one of the funniest trades I can remember in the NHL. Just literally trade him for nothing. And yeah. good, good, good on the – the Hurricanes, that's a team that is also kind of ruthless. And, like, they have a price. They are willing to pay it. And more often than not, they're right. Like, they didn't look like they missed Dougie Hamilton last year, and I thought they would. They were right on the goaltending. They let Trocek and Niederreiter walk. Niederreiter just signed with Nashville. So they, they were right. Like, at this point, I mean, the Hurricanes know what they're doing. You know, it's just what their Hurricanes are in the same position Florida's in, where it's like, come on, guys, time to win the playoffs. And – you know, they, they arguably play a little bit more of a playoff style than the Panthers did, and yet they still ran into the same problems. But that's that's a well-run team. Mm. It's a very smart team. And the future GM of the Flyers should be uh, the Carolina assistant GM, Eric Tulski, but I don't think the Flyers are smart enough to hire him. So, oh, well. Yeah. Uh, Flyers, I mean, the Panthers and the Hurricanes have the same issue, though, is that they are so focused on, you know – doing the margin trades, do, you know, exercising this or leveraging that and stuff. And the end of the day, you can't cheat or, like, shortcut your way to winning a Stanley Cup. Like, the, like Carolina has an issue, and they, you know, they start taking the goaltending seriously and just fixing that. But the other issue now that they ran into and that stopped them in the playoffs last year was – they don't have a guy on, you know, like Sebastian Ajo is great. I really love him and everything, but he's a low end first center, you know, kind of towards like, I don't think he or Sveshnikov are going to step up and get you a goal when you need a goal. That's um, the one difference with the Panthers. We didn't see it in the yeah, playoffs. The Panthers have those guys. Have dudes who are going to go out and make yeah. that play. And Carolina doesn't like, I hope, to, like, I think all of us hope, Svechnikov would be that he's not, not yet. You know, maybe they have Max Patch ready who can do that sort of thing, right? But they don't, but it just seems like we're waiting on that to actually He used happen. to be able, used to be able to do that. And we'll he used to be able to do it. Do it he used year. to, he used to just be like a catch and shoot kind of guy. So, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, the Panthers, the thing, they need to go out. They just need to go get a defenseman, man. Like we've been saying if that can, for a if while. We can, if we can swap like the Hurricanes' ability to get defensemen and the Panthers' ability to get scorers, you'd actually have the perfect team. But eh, they don't. They don't seem to have those two things right. in, in, in gelled uh, yet. Um, yeah, I mean the F- Panthers have been able to find a certain type of defensemen, and the Hurricanes have been able to find really good possession forwards. But you know, I mean, like it. I think sometimes you just have to suck it up and just like pay the price. And like, you know, the Panthers just needed to draft that top end defenseman a while ago. And they haven't, they're like, Oh yeah, we spent a draft pick on Eckblad and then we got a a freebie in Uyghur. So we're good. 
We're done. And then we'll just, we'll just, like we'll just use third and fourth and fifth round picks on defensemen for the rest of our time now. You know, a, a couple, a second in a week draft year and things like that. You know, like, come on. I, I think you have to go a little harder to get and to for the defense. Hurricanes, yes, it's very nice that you draft all these Russians who have high value. Uh, but come on. Can you guys I get think, a guy who can just take a game over and put the puck in the net, please? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, why they they got a, a lot of draft capital I mean, a lot of cap hit in between Burns and Pacioretty when they could have just had Johnny Gaudreau. You would think, possibly. I mean, because that doesn't seem as if I he, said, like, if he's they, they seem to be. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think the teams are are necessarily necessarily like Carolina trying to do the creative move for the sake of doing the creative move. Look how smart we are. But sometimes, don't you wonder if you've outsmarted yourself a little bit? or you galaxy brain it just a hair. Like, I think right. maybe Carolina can be guilty of that to a degree. I mean, let's, let's be, again, all the moves that they make largely work out. These are like Tony D'Angelo, I thought was going to be terrible. And he turned out to be the best version of what you could get out of him. You know, they let Dougie Hamilton walk and they're fine. Like they let Trocek and Niederreiter walk and, you know, they end up getting Pacioretty for nothing. They end up getting Brent Burns who they will maximize what they can get out of Brent Burns. All that is neat. And I admire what Carolina does on a consistent basis, but that doesn't necessarily win you the Stanley Cup, you know? Right. And, I mean, yeah, and it's not like... I, I mean, Burns and Pacioretty have some term left on their contract, Pacioretty's too. So... up after this year. Pacioretty's up after this year. Burns is a couple years, but, like, Brent Burns could play forever at this point, and the Hurricanes will find a way but to maximize we'll, but that. But there... And here's here's something I think teams don't necessarily take into, or maybe they do, and but it's not talked about in the media enough. But like, so Burns will play forever. Burns always has to have the puck on his stick. Burns always has to be on the ice. Burns always has to be taking shots from wherever he is on the ice. Now, granted, Carolina kind of that's kind of Carolina's offensive system, but if you like if he doesn't get the job done, then he's just a net a net negative. And every time he's touching the puck, he's taking away, you know, a chance for Sebastian Ajo or you know somebody else to be doing something better with the puck because he always has to be taking low shots or you know do two loops around the offensive zone with it or he has to do every zone entry when maybe his zone entry numbers aren't that good anymore because he's getting old you know so it's kind of the pk suban effect uh for crystal palace it was jason punchin like after a while like jason punchin like you stink but i mean like that's the thing like he jason punchin like had to always be taking free kicks had to always have the captain's band had to always be playing like he was never the one taking the day off and things like that and it's just like well if he's your if he's that guy that's the best you're ever going to be and he sucks so like you're not going to go anywhere wow with that. i was um, not expecting to hear premier league legend jason punch in radford we're, we're pretty late into the podcast we, so are, this is what well, we are well beyond the point but of no return you, here, but you, that was hilarious you know what I mean, though, by it, but yeah, like, no, 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 I, I completely, I so get like, it totally, and I think Pacioretty possibly is the same thing. Like, if he and Hoffman was the same thing for the Panthers, where it, it starts to become a detriment to the team because it they become kind of a meme, and at that point, when you're a meme, so I don't it's not know, a good thing. 
I don't know. I mean, I think Carolina is going to be good, but oh, I, I think mean, they're the best team. I in don't the think Metro, but again, I don't know what this means for the playoffs, which is where it matters who, at this point. And and uh, well, and first things first, the Panthers have to win two rounds, and so like, who in the Panthers division got better? I think Tampa is arguably worse, but that doesn't really matter because they're Tampa. I think the Maple Leafs are, again, speaking of a team that needs to win playoff series, they haven't won one until they prove they can do it. I'm not sure. The Bruins are older and they've got injuries. You know, and arguably the bottom four team, okay, three of the four bottom teams in the Atlantic are better, but they're not playoff better. And the top four teams in the Atlantic are all worse in air quotes to some degree, but I'm not sure that really matters because at this point, like you kind of know what you're getting with all of them in the Metro. I think Carolina is better. I I don't know what I, think they, I don't know what better means in that case. Um, I think the that Rangers they, are what they are. The Penguins are what they are. The Capitals have injuries. You know, again, three of the bottom four teams in the Metro are better, but are they playoff better? And the Flyers are terrible. So, so to me, that that's good for Florida. And you know, the team that I fear the most in the East is the Rangers. Because they can just goalie you and win a series. Um, well, and and because there's two players out there who want a lot of money, and who two players who might be out there, who and one's definitely out there, Matthew Kachuk, who would go to the New York a- area, and they could afford to sign him long term. They have the pieces to make that trade happen. And then there's also Patrick Kane, who would go to – is rumored that his number one choice is New York Rangers if he were to move. And, you know, they have the ability to get that trade done and fit him and everything like that. Panarin, there's a connection there. So, like – and I think that they have improved as well. So, to me, that is – somebody that I'm like, okay, they could get back to the final again, conference final. And if we move over, like, let's just say, God forbid, you know, maybe the Rangers come over in the wild card or we go over there in the wild card and we have to play them in the first two rounds. That's not a matchup I want. Well, I don't Um, want it because I don't want to have to spend days online hearing about how many Rangers fans are in the building during the playoff games. I don't want to hear about that, period. where, Where everybody else in the Metro, I'm... You know, no game has been played next year. Let's just say that. But I'm not worried about playing Carolina in a series. Well, I, their goaltending's not good enough I to was scare at me. One point, and then and then I saw last year what the Panthers did to them, and I go, okay, not as worried now. And Pittsburgh, I thought Pittsburgh may have beaten Florida in the first round last year, but Pittsburgh I doesn't mean, have a goalie. That's going to be mean, the I death of them. I thought they had better goaltending. You know, Tristan Jari was there. Uh, I don't think that team is. I don't think that team is bad. I think that I don't know if they're better, but they're they're still there. Well, like, I mean, I I worry about Tampa and I worry about New York. I always I, worry I, about the Lightning. I will always worry about the Lightning until the Panthers yeah. actually beat them. Yep. They haven't yep. Done that and yet. then I worry about New York because they seem to be up and coming and they have a lot of flexibility and they have they do not top tier talent wants to play for them and live in that. In, their, in that city, and then their ownership and their front office are willing to always make the moves to get... Like, if someone says, hi, I'm one of the best players in the NHL, I want to play for you, they go get them. They don't they don't pull a Fletcher and be like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, they just get it done. And if it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, you know, a lot of Rangers' history is 
plagued with that, but it's working out really well right now. Oh, yeah. No, no, um, no. I, I think the Rangers... And, like, I'm not worried about right. Toronto. Although, you know, if Toronto was going to be anyone in the first round, it would be would be the, It would be the Panthers, yes. You but, correct. I mean, like, I... They're taking a huge risk with goaltending. Uh, you know, I think that their forwards match up, and maybe you know this version of Florida might be better. You know, Toronto's forwards group might be better, but I like the Florida D, just as you know, like they're very similar. Yeah. When and did you I ever just... think we were going to look at you know the non-Tampa division, like non-Tampa uh, Rangers division of goaltending, and you go, actually, you know what, Panthers aren't in that bad of shape. Like, that's what's really funny about this whole discussion is we haven't talked about goaltending because last year Bobrovsky was more than solid. You know who your next guy is going to be after that in Spencer Knight, and we can see him taking strides, and you just go, actually, no, their goaltending's fine. No issues there. That's, that's, that's really, really funny when you think about Toronto who can't find a goalie, when you think about all these other teams that can't find a goalie, and the Panthers, arguably, of the playoff teams, you know, have the third most assured goaltending behind aliens and Vasilevsky and Shesterkin. And that you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't have guessed that. And that's, 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 that's very funny. Um, I think that's about it. This podcast has gone on for a million years. Uh, we, and we're doing this because obviously it's the summer and I'm not sure there's going to be news to talk about, but I will try to get some things done during the summer to keep your appetite whetted before we get to the preseason. Uh, we'll and, have to wait for the uh, Panthers to trade for somebody. Yes, you Uh, yeah, I, you know, trade for the next Devon Taves. That would be great. I would like that too. That would be awesome. Uh, we will see what that looks like as the summer goes on, and as I said, we will have some shows to hopefully throughout the rest of the summer to talk about. All sorts of other things because we are in now the point when everybody goes off to the cottage and news cannot break because the NHL has to shut down during the summer because the NHL hasn't yet understood that what makes some sports really popular is that they actually have a 24-7, 365 news cycle. And the NHL seems pathologically obsessed with not having one and uh, to their own detriment. I know some ways where they could have a 24-7, 365 news cycle, but they're not interested in that, so... We'll leave that for another time. Anyway, thank you for listening. We will have much more coming soon. And until then, good night and good hockey. If you haven't already fallen asleep yet, because this podcast is over two hours long. <laughs>